Psalm 119, beginning at verse 81. The psalmist writes, My soul languishes for thy salvation. I wait for thy word. My eyes fail with longing for thy word, while I say, When will thou comfort me? Though I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When will thou execute judgment on those who persecute me? The arrogant have dug pits for me, men who are not in accord with thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. They almost destroyed me on earth. But as for me, I did not forsake thy precepts. Revive me according to thy loving kindness, that I may keep the testimony of thy mouth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your precious, wonderful, magnificent, marvelous word. And pray now, O oh God, that you would use it in the lives of each and every one of us. Uh, help us to be receptive to what the Spirit of God lays upon each and every one of our hearts. Give us ears to hear and give us hearts to heed. And Lord, may you get the glory and the honor from this time of preaching. We pray this in the name of our Savior, our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And you can be seated. <clears throat> I have said it before, and I will say it again. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, these words. He says to that church, for to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Paul says that God's gracious gift to believers is not only the gift of salvation, but also the gift of suffering. God has graciously given us both salvation and suffering. How much we will suffer, that is up to the sovereign, our sovereign God. We don't know. But this we do know, that as Christians, we will experience suffering and persecution in our walk with God. In the midst of suffering and persecution, it can seem like God is far away, that God is distant, that God cannot be found, that he's not present. That's just a reality for the wife whose marriage has crumbled, even though she's seeking to live for the Lord. She wants to know, where is God? 
for the person in ministry who seems like the ministry is failing. He wants to know where is God? Where is God when you hear that your loved one has cancer? Even though your loved one and you are both living lives to the glory and honor of God. Where is he? Where is he when I can't find a job, yet I am faithfully seeking to live for God? There are times where the people of God wonder, where is God? And I don't have any pat answers for you. I don't have any canned answers for you. I can't just simply say to you, he's there, he's in heaven. Because this is a real struggle in our walk with God. There will be times, hopefully not too many times, where we wonder, where is God? David wondered about that. In Psalm chapter 13, verse 1, he says, How long, O Lord, will thou forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That was the man who was after God's own heart. And yet it seemed like God was distant. It seems like heaven was closed to David. And David is not the only biblical character who has uttered words like this. In fact, our psalmist in reality is wondering, where is God? Where is God? This this man who loves God, who loves the word of God, who loves the ways of God, This man who treasures up God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against God. This man who says that God's word is a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. In the stanza that is before us, he has reached a low point. There, uh, you remember that Psalm uh, 119 is divided into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. There is no other stanza like this one. It is as if the psalmist is reached the lowest part of walking through the shadow of the valley of death. That he can't get any lower. It's a dark time in his life. It's the midnight hour. And he is wrestling with the reality of where is his God? as he's going through persecutions and hardships and difficulties. And some of you might be there right now. You you cry out to God. You're seeking God. You're living for God. And it just seems like things have not worked out the way that you want it to work out. And the way that you want it to work out is not selfish. It's not sinful. You really want it to work out for his glory and his honor. And so there will be times that we will walk through dark times like that. Thank God it's not every day. But there might be those days when it will happen. 
And it might not have happened to you yet, but it can happen to you in the future as a child of God. And it has nothing to do with how much you love the Lord. This man loves God more than any other person that I know in the Old Testament. He cannot write these 176 verses without sharing and communicating that God is his all in all and that he has ordered his steps and his his steps according to God's precepts. That's true of him. But yet, he's at a low point. He's finding it hard to go on. He doesn't know how to take the next step, so to speak. And that can happen to you. That can happen to me. We can reach a place in our walk with God due to the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in where we have to admit it's hard to press on. It's hard to take the next step. So the question is, what do we do? I think we can learn from this man who was there, who found it hard to take the next step. We can learn and find out what he did with the hopes and with the goal that we will do the same thing. So let's learn from this man who loves God and loves the word of God and loves the ways of God. Let's learn the steps to take when you get to the point where it's hard to go on. When it's hard to go on, be real about your feelings. Be real about your emotions. That's what we learn in verses 81 through 84. The psalmist is keeping it real with God. He's not faking. He's not pretending. He's not hiding. He's crying out to God. He's talking to God. These words are written to God. And one of the things that becomes clear is that he's not trying to hide his raw emotions. He's not trying to cover up what he's actually feeling. He's not cursing God. He's not mad at God. But he's honest with God. He's real with God. And so as he seeks to press on, as he seeks to go on, what he does is to make sure that He's real with God about his feelings. The psalmist expressed his fainting soul in in verse 81. Note what he says in that verse at the very beginning. He said, my soul languishes. And maybe that doesn't capture you or grab you or, or grip you so that you can identify with him. Others have written these words. My soul fainteth. My soul longs for. I am worn out waiting for. I desperately long for. This idea of this word language 
that's going to be used in the next verse and also in verse 87 means to come to an end. It means to be spent. It's complete. No, you, you go so far and you can't go any further. And he says to his God, I, I've come to the end of the line, God, when it comes to your salvation. And he's not talking about spiritual salvation in the present or in the future. He's talking about salvation in the sense of deliverance. What he wants is deliverance. And he says, God, my soul languishes. My soul has come to an end. I'm, I'm weary. I'm exhausted. And still I have not reached your deliverance in my life. I love you. I live for you. But still the reality of the matter is, here I am, God, and I'm exhausted. I'm spent. I've come to the end. And I'm not experienced at this point in time your deliverance. It, it seems like you are far away, that you're watching, but you're not doing anything at all. My, my soul is exhausted. My soul languishes. My soul faints for your deliverance, God. And he's just keeping it real. He's just saying, this is where I'm at, God. I'm coming to you. I'm letting you know. I'm not going to everybody else. I'm coming to you and letting you know that my soul languishes, that I'm weary, I'm exhausted, I'm spent, I'm tired. And yet I don't experience your salvation. And he says at the end of that verse, in verse 81, I wait for thy word. I wait for your promise. I, I don't fall away. I don't take matters into my own hands. I simply wait. I'm waiting on you, God, and I'm waiting on your promise that is in your word that you are a deliverer, that you are a helper. I'm waiting for your word to become a reality in my life. The psalmist expresses his failed eyes, his failing eyes to the Lord in verse 82. It's almost as if he's saying the same thing. He goes on to say, my eyes fail. I used to have 20-20 vision. And I used to be able to see so clearly, so perfectly your salvation and your promises. But right now, God, I, I keep straining, I keep looking, and my eyesight fails me. I don't see it any longer. I once saw it perfectly, but now my eyesight fails me. Now my eyesight is not working. I cannot see. My eyes fail. Longing for your word, longing for your promises, God. And as that's happening in his life, he raises a rhetorical question that he knows the answer to. He says, my eyes are failing, longing for thy word while I say. This is what I'm saying, God. 
This, this is what is coming out of my mouth. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm longing for. This is what I don't see anymore. I'm saying, when will you comfort me? You see, the psalmist knows the word of God. He knows that God is a comforter. He's read verses like Isaiah 12.1 and Isaiah 49.13. He himself has said early in verse 46, Oh, may thy loving kindness come to me, thy compassion according to thy mercy. He knows about the comfort of God, but right now he doesn't see it. His experience is far away from that. God, when are you going to comfort me? I'm in a mess. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm trying to live my life for you and please you. When will you comfort me? He's keeping it real. He's keeping it real. The psalmist further expressed his futile existence in verse 83. He compares himself to a wineskin in the smoke. We don't talk about a wineskin. We just have a bottle of wine. Uh, but he's talking about a bottle that was a leather bottle that contained wine. That's what it was used to hold for. But that made out of animal hide, that wine skin, that bottle that was used to contain wine, if you took it and put it close to a fire, then it would become brittle and it would shrivel up. And in essence, it would become useless. So the psalmist is now saying, I have become brittle. I've become shriveled up. I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. I've become useless. I've become worthless. I'm of no value. My existence is really of no worth at all. But even though he says that, and he believes that, and that's what he's feeling, that's what he's experiencing, he says at the end of that verse, verse 83, I do not forget thy statutes. I love that about the psalmist. I love that no matter what is thrown at him, Hardships, difficulties, problems, enemies. He still remains loyal to the word of God. And my friends, this is something that we must learn as the children of God. That, that no matter what we go through, no matter what we experience, uh, it must be our, our, our testimony that we do not forget God's statutes. That we do not push them aside. Let the hardships and the difficulties of life drive the word of God out of our life. So often, Satan will use the tactics of persecution and hardships and affliction to drive us to disobey God. And when we find ourselves in hard times, difficult times, 
the, the thing that we must be committed to. I will not sin against my God. I will not forget his statutes. And so he's going through it. His soul languishes. His eyes fail. He's like a wineskin in the smoke. But regardless of all of that, he says to God, I do not forget thy statutes. I cling to them. I hold on to them. He continues lastly by saying, expressing his frustrating questions to God. He's got questions for God. And these questions arise from the fact that in light of his circumstances, he is frustrated. (laughs) The first question that he asks, how many are the days of thy servant? He's not asking God, how long am I going to live on earth? He's saying, God, my time on earth is limited. How few are my days on earth? So I need you to intervene. I'm not going to last forever. I'm transitory. I'm like a vapor. Life is a mist that is here today and gone tomorrow. And God, time is running out. I'm not going to be around forever. So so how many? How few are my days on earth? And if that's not enough, he raises another question. God, God, when are you going to execute judgment? on those who persecute me. He realizes, yes, he's being persecuted. And it's unjust and unfair persecution. What is happening to him should not happen. And so he raises a question out of frustration. And he says, God, when are you going to show yourself as God and judge? What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is sinful. When are you going to execute judgment? And it's clear that the psalmist is frustrated here because this is the first time in these 176 verses where he never mentions the word of God. Up to this point, he's always mentioned in each verse, some way, somehow, God's word, his promises, his statutes, his commandments, except his ordinances, and the list goes on. But no mention of the word in this verse. He is frustrated. And so the first step in going on, the first step when you find it hard to press on, is to be real with God about your emotions and your feelings. As the songwriter said, and as the old folks would say, take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Come to him. That's the starting point. If you want to go on, take the matter to the Lord. The psalmist in the psalm teaches, God can handle your emotions. Don't think you can feel it and and experience and hide it from it. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're feeling. And he can handle your raw emotions and your feelings. But you got to take it to the Lord. 
And as you're taking it to the Lord, you have to still see life from the perspective of the word of God. When it's hard to go on, be real about your mindset, your thinking. Be honest. Be real. Be genuine with regards to how you think about the matter and how you look at the situation and the circumstances. We see this in verses 85 through 87. Please note, first of all, the psalmist's mindset on the fact of his persecution. He has not deluded himself. He's not deceived himself into thinking that what he's experiencing is not real. He says in verse 85, the arrogant. He's talking about a group of enemies. He's referred to them before. The arrogant, the proud ones. This is the first group of the proud boys. Here they are. The, the arrogant, the proud boys. And he talks about their conduct. And what is their conduct? The psalmist said, they have dug pits for me. He says, as I'm living my life, they're treating me like an animal. They think they're clever with their traps. And they're trying to catch me. They dug pits for me. But not only does he talk about their conduct, he talks about their character. He says, those who are far away from God's law, those who are not in accordance with the word of God. That's the character of an arrogant person, a proud person. You might not be persecuting anybody, but you can still be arrogant and proud because the mark of arrogance the mark of pride as pointed out in this verse is that the word of God has no place in your life. You don't operate according to God's word. You don't live according to his word. You don't carry out your marriage according to his word. You're not an employee according to his word. You don't seek wisdom from above that comes through the word of God. You're acting as if God has not said anything on these matters. And that is the epitome of arrogance and pride. When you feel and think that you don't need to hear from God that you don't need to consult God, that you don't need to consider what God has to say. You live your life, you make your decisions. You might acknowledge God, but you don't dig into his word. You don't find out what does God actually say in his word. And these individuals who are digging pits for the psalmist, that's what they do. He says that they are men who are not in accord with God's teaching and instruction. That's not their standard on how they live their life. 
Also note the psalmist's mindset on God's word. These individuals that are persecuting him, they, they have no regard for the word of God. They don't operate according to the word. But, but, but look at what the psalmist says at the beginning of verse 86. It's like a breath of fresh air. I mean, we're getting depressed, we're getting down, we're getting discouraged with this man, we're feeling what he's going through, and then all of a sudden, he makes this wonderful pronouncement at the beginning of verse 86. He says, all thy commandments are faithful. I'm waiting for your word. I don't see your salvation. I don't see you comforting me, but God... I'm on record, and I'll tell you face to face, all, every last one, each and every one of your commandments are faithful, reliable, trustworthy. He banks his life on the word of God, despite what he's going through. And he's going through a whole lot. And he doesn't even see the promises of God coming fulfilled in his life, but but that doesn't discourage him. That doesn't cause him to forsake the word of God. He says, all, not some, not a few, but all of your commandments are faithful, God, all of them. And then he further points out his mindset on God's help at the end of verse 86. And before he does that, he brings up his persecution again. After making that wonderful declaration, all your commandments are, are faithful, he says to God at the end of verse 86, they, who? The arrogant, the proud boys. They have persecuted me with a lie. Do you realize that persecution is not always in the form of being physical? It can be verbal. Persecution is not always with sticks and stones, but persecution can be with words that supposedly will never hurt me. What a big lie that statement is, that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. I don't know what world that person lives in, But I think each and every one of us can take the witness stand and say that words hurt, uh, that you can be persecuted by means of words. And and here's the psalmist says, they persecuted me, not with words, but with lies, with falsehood. They, They said things about him that just aren't true. They're persecuting me. They're afflicting me with lies. And on the heels of that, the psalmist lets us know his mindset on God's help. He doesn't make a declaration. He demonstrates it. He cries out, help me. God, I've talked about my persecution, my failing eyes, my languishing soul. Help me. I'm at the bottom, Lord. 
I can't go down any further. I can't see your comfort. I can't see your salvation. But, but my mindset, my thinking is that you are a God who helps. That you are a helper to your people. And so he cries out the sweetest and greatest prayer sometimes you can pray in times of trouble. It doesn't have a lot of words to it. It doesn't have a lot of particulars to it. It's just simply, God, help. God, I'm here. Help. Help me, God. Help me. I can't quote any verses for you. I can't run through uh, uh, statements in Scripture. All I can say from the depths of my soul, God, is help me. My situation is bad. My situation is difficult. My situation is desperate. And some of you might not be able to relate to this, but I tell you the time will come where you better learn how to relate to this. You better learn in your walk with God that you need to have a right mindset and perspective on divine help. That you cannot do this walk with God in your own strength and in your own ability. You need to be hollering out on a regular basis, God, help me. When you teach that Sunday school class, it doesn't matter how long you've taught. It doesn't matter how much you know. You better say, God, help me. Uh, When you labor preparing for that sermon and you put in the hours, you read the commentary, etc., you think you know what the pastor said, you better cry out to God and say, God, help me. Whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley, you need to have the right perspective on divine help. And the psalmist says, God, help me. Help me. And I can't, I can't look at these words and not think of a time in my own life that was the darkest time in my life. And I've shared it with you before, but I just remember listening to the song. My help, all of my help comes from the Lord. It was a dark time, but that song encouraged me. That song helped me to realize that my help, my help, my help, all of my help comes from the Lord. The psalmist knew that. Despite the persecution and the difficulties and the hardship, the psalmist knew to cry out, not just to talk about it, Not just to explain it. He just says, God, help me. The final note, uh, the psalmist, uh, regarding the psalmist's mindset, is with regards to the force of his persecution. Yes, he's being persecuted. But when you come to verse 87, he lets us know the extent of the persecution. How difficult, how impactful the persecution was. It wasn't a sniffle. It wasn't just somebody lightly saying something supposedly against me that rubbed me the wrong way. It was severe. 
He says in verse 87, they almost destroyed me on earth. And that word destroyed is the same one that was translated languish and failed. And now he's saying, my life on earth almost came to an end. That was the force of the persecution. That it almost wiped him out. It almost caused him cease to exist on the earth. So, so, so this is not some light-hearted, flimsy, whimsical talk about suffering. This is a man who's saying that my enemies, the, the arrogant, that they came against me to such an extent that I almost died. I almost was killed. They almost made an end of my life on earth. But I love what he says at the end of verse 87. But as for me, as for me, this is what they wanted to do. This is what they sought to do. <laughs> They're trying to destroy me. They're trying to bring me to an end. But, 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 but that ain't going to cause me to sin. That's not going to cause me to retaliate. That's not going to cause me to fight and do this and do that and get angry and get mad and get upset. No, the psalmist says, but as for me, I did not forsake my precepts. That's what he did. Somebody trying to take your life out, come to your house with a gun and shoots up your house, trying to take you out. What you going to do? How are you going to respond? The psalmist says, all I'm worried about, all I'm concerned about is obedience to the word of God. Do you prize obedience that much? Do you value obedience to that extent? That, that no matter what happens to you, all that you're concerned about is that you want to make sure you do not forsake the precepts of God? Yes, what they're doing is wrong. Yes, he's longing for deliverance. He's longing for comfort, etc. He wants God to judge. But when it's all said and done, he says, God, in light of all that's happened to me, I do not forsake thy precepts. When it's hard, to go on, you must, you must be real about your mindset. Let's have a proper mindset about what you're actually experiencing. <laughs> the, the, the psalmist did not delude himself into thinking, oh, this is no, no big deal. He was real. But you also must be honest about when it comes to God's help, and also when it comes to God's word, that God is a helper of his people, that God's word is faithful and reliable, and you can trust it. You can live by it each step of the way, even when your world is turned upside down. When it's hard, 
to go on. Be real about your desire to go on. When we come to verse 88, the end of this stanza, it's an unusual ending. It doesn't end with the psalmist on the mountaintop saying, God has delivered me. God has comforted me. God has judged my enemies. No, that's not the way it ends. That's the way we like the story to end, right? No, I'm delivered. He came through. He's done it the way that I want him to do it. He's done it when I wanted him to do it. Oh, yes, he's an on-time God. He shows up when I want him to show up. No, this stanza ends with the psalmist expressing his desire that God do a work in his life to help him in the difficult times that he's in. And so he cries out in verse 88, revive me. Anybody who's read Psalm 119 know that this is a common prayer request. Revive me. He said it early in verse 25, 37, and 40. He'll say it in the future in verse 107, 149, 154, 156, and 159. I point out all of those because he understands that he needs revitalization, spiritual revitalization. He needs spiritual vitality and life. And I've said, as I said before, he needs God to put some pep in his spiritual step. What this thing calls for is for God to revive him, to revive the psalmist according to the word of God and for the purpose the psalmist says that he may keep the testimony of God's mouth. God revive me, not so that I will be comforted. I want that. God revive me so that I'll be delivered. I, I want that. God revive me so that I may be obedient to you so that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The, the word of God is pictured as coming out of the mouth of God. And the psalmist says, that's what I want to keep. That's what I want to do. That's what matters most to me. When, it, when it's hard to go on, that's where he ends. Revive me. Do a work in me, God. Cause me to be spiritually alive so that I will keep the testimonies of your mouth. One of the old movies that I love to watch uh, is The Five Heartbeats. It's about an R&B group Five individuals in, uh, no, it chronicles their ups and downs. But near the end of the movie, 
after the group has disbanded. It's a church scene. It's Sunday morning worship. And one of the heartbeats happens to come to church to visit the church at the encouragement of another. Another heartbeat is leading the choir. And then there's a third heartbeat who's singing a duet with his wife as they lead the choir. And the song that he sings is, I feel like going on. I, I feel like going on. It, it, the trials of life might come. The, the hardships and the difficulties of life are real. But the song says, I feel like going on. And I think that's what the psalmist has concluded as he comes to the end of this stanza. He's saying, I feel like going on. I'm not going to let anything keep me back from being obedient to my God and loving my God and living according to the ways of my God. I, I feel like going on it. And I trust that God will use this portion of scripture in your life so that you will be able to say the same thing. I, I feel like going on. My marriage has crumbled. God, I don't know where you are, but I feel like going on. My ministry is in shambles. And I, I love you with all of my heart, my soul, my mind and strength, but God, I feel like going on. And the key to all of that, if you really are going to press on, if you're going to go on, the word of God has to be a central and vital part of your life. Don't miss that. In verse 82, he says, I wait for your word. Verse 83, he says, I do not forget thy statutes. So he gets to verse 86, all your commandments are faithful. Verse 87, I do not forsake thy precepts. Verse 88, revive me according to thy loving kindness so that I may keep the testimonies of thy mouth. In the midst of all that is going on with this world turned upside down, with them, his persecutors, almost killing him. He's clinging to God. And clinging to the word of God. So my friends, when it feels hard to go on, understand that you can take your feelings, your emotions to God who knows everything. When it's hard to go on, make sure you have the right mindset, the right thinking. When it's hard to go on, make sure that you really do desire to go on and that you cry out to God, God, revive me. I want to go on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. May it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May we store it up in our heart 
so that we might not sin against you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.